0: Welcome to Black World, and with Ray and Dia. This is a podcast about fantasy and sci-fi.
1: It's about the characters we've had and the ones we should have.
0: It's about the spaces we make and the places we live in.
1: It's about the worlds we've built and the ones we're building. It's about the Black Diaspora, baby. It's about you.
0: It's about me. It's
1: about us. Well,
0: it's always about us. Let's let's get it. it. Hey, 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 and welcome back to Black World, and folks, it's been a couple weeks. I know we took a little time off, but we back at it with our Magic Systems B-side. We had the very long and drawn-out A-side for y'all last time around. So today, we're going to keep it cute, we're going to keep it short, and it's going to be good. We're going to keep it black, but we're going to keep it
1: brief, and that's where we're going to live at. So yeah, let's go ahead and. Start. Oh, I gotta, I gotta give credit to to Miss Lady on TikTok. We're gonna have to link in the credits or something because I don't want to take full <laughs> responsibility for that saying. But you know what it is. <laughs> Amazing. So today, basically what we're
0: going to do, as you know, on the B-side, we take uh, very specific case studies, right? So we're going to take three books today, and we're going to have three book series. Um, one of them is Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. We're going to have the This Poison Heart series by Kaylin Bayron, and we're going to have the Kingston Cycle series by C.L. Polk. All three of these people are Black authors, um, and we're going to be going through and determining which of their series' magic systems is hard, a hard magic system, a kind of middle magic system, or a soft magic system. So we're just gonna go through a bunch of questions and just pop through each book within that. We'll make sure you understand the characters and a little bit about the plot as we're talking about it through, but just sit back and enjoy.
1: Oh yeah. And I guess just a little refresher on magic systems for those that haven't listened to all two hours of our diatribe here. The way we think of magic systems is as a framework for how we understand the world building, as well as, you know, rules and guidelines for how the characters interact with their powers or the abilities of other people.
0: Yep. So we'll be thinking about things surrounding like, uh, Is there a cost associated with the magic? What's the history of the magic in the world? Thinking about who can use it and when can magic be used, right? Um, We'll be thinking about um, what about the different schools of magic? We talked about the different instruments or conduits or ways to focus magic in in our last episode as well. And thinking about a lot of those things, is it intrinsic, is it taught, is it harnessed? So we'll be going through a lot of that today.
1: Oh yeah, and some of you remember that Mia and Dia have uh, somewhat opposed views on what consi- consists of a hard magic system versus you always <laughs> want to fight. Don't I'm you? just saying, you we, just want you just want to be. We, we, we do have different <laughs> different ideas of what's hard mm-hmm. and soft. So we worked really hard on this list to agree on and discuss Mm -hmm. but and we still gonna disagree a little bit but it's okay (laughs) look I have serious questions for some of the ones on this list okay but we do want to keep it you know pretty close knit on some of the questions um and I guess for us you know we've already talked about the books that we're gonna talk about in this section but you know the number one thing at least for me when it comes to these you know I said it in the, the previous episode I'll say it again the, the different costs associated with magic systems, I think is a really big priority for me because if there's no cost to the magic, does it matter? Right, and I really agree with that. Like,
0: what does the magic take? Does it take something from you as an individual? Does it take something from the world, right? There needs to be, I agree that there needs to be stakes within the magic, regardless of whether or not it's a full drain on you, but the act of magic And in a lot of these books right magic is so intrinsic to the way the world moves and works so using magic has to have some kind of effect
1: yeah and i I think that's one of the things that we definitely see in children of blood and bone with tommy adiani's um book and the different characters that they go through different things depending on what their magic is as well as how they develop and what their experiences are. And it's interesting because Zele doesn't have like her mom to teach her how to use her powers. So she has to rely on like a community that has a different power set than her to try to have an understanding of how to use it. While uh Inan and Amari, they are almost completely shielded from their abilities because they're royalty and that's not something that they should have at all. And so for them, they have a different relationship with their magic than anyone else. And I think that's kind of a, a different kind of cost. I know we talk a lot about the magical cost of using things, but I do think that the the society itself having a relationship with magic also adds to a certain cost, right? Like even the, the colorism that can be associated in real life, right? It's like on one hand, you have a, a certain level of blendability or acceptability in certain circles but it plays against you and others
0: yeah f- fully agree and uh let's pull over to the side for a second for you listeners who may not have heard us talking about this book before or not but children of blood of blood and bone is a um soon to be three-part series uh by Tomi Adeyemi. Uh, the first book is called Children of Blood and Bone. The second book is called Children of Virtue and Vengeance. And the characters that you hear us talking about, Zele, Zane, Amari, Inan. So Zele is the main character. Uh, Amari is also a main character, Inan is a main character in that we have chapters that are specific to those folks. So Zane is Zelly's brother. Zelie is what we call a Magi, and a Magi is a person who has this kind of like white hair. Um, they're often very dark skinned in this particular world, um, especially in this world that is uh, based Uh, foundationally in what we understand Africa to be, but it's not that, but you know, it's coming from that area. Um, Within this world, there's a lot of oppression and deep colorism and genocide. Um, And what happens is that the royal family um, and the royalty um, years ago, uh, basically genocided all of the adult magi, uh, Zelie's mom included, and she was a very specific type of magi that we'll get into. Uh, So, you know, we move, you know, maybe 15 years or so later. Um, What happens within the book is that uh, something goes down where magic actually really isn't disappeared, right? It was uh, believed that magic was just pushed out of the world completely, but it's not. And then we have Amari, who's one of the people who catalyzes that. Amari is the princess, Um, Inan is the prince. So Amari kind of steals this scrap of paper because she sees her bestie get murdered and her bestie is a Magi as well, sees her dad just kind of murder her. She deals a scrap, scrap of paper, runs out. That paper touches Zele and it activates her magic again. But it's magic in a diffused kind of way. So then basically the whole story is about them trying to bring magic back because they know that people can now. And they have to fight against you know Inan and other people in the royal uh, family to do so. And of course there's romance and uh, weird frustrations and all of that all together. It's a lovely book, but yeah, just so you have a little bit of context. All right, we're gonna keep trucking.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit of a of a uh, coming of age story too, because there's a lot of growth and character development with zele omari and Enan as we go along and Zane as well
0: yeah fully agreed and i mean like there's some interesting things when i and, and i think about this is a part of the, the the cost associated with magic right um and i think a part of the history portion too is that we see um zele hold on to and rightfully so you know she's a she's a, a population that is deeply marginalized and has been Uh, genocide has been committed upon them but holds onto a lot of deep and unrelenting anger towards these folks who who uh the royalty right the folks who have are this upper caste kind of space from them and we think about how that relates to to the world and the magic where there's even a because the magic is only back in a very small way it's still such a difficulty and a little bit of pain associated with it as it tugs on um what they call their ashe which is their um like spirit soul where their magic and things are how so it tugs on that and causes such a pain um within that for them that you know within the history of this particular world they didn't have that issue before because magic was abound in that kind of way so it's really interesting to kind of chart as the magic grows, as Zele becomes more comfortable with her magic and figuring out how to use it, she also grows and changes within this book. Um, and it's not a comfortable growth uh, because growing pains are not. <laughs> so she, get, she sometimes is very stressful as a protagonist to kind of navigate and deal with. Um, but as they all are.
1: Yeah, but I think that's one of the endearing things about Zelie is that you don't always agree with her decisions, which makes her very mm-hmm. human and very relatable. She's like that best friend that you stay telling not to do something. Right. And then they do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You They still your <laughs> ride or die. You you still gonna, you're like, girl, I like, know, but we gonna work through mm-hmm. it together. That's Zelie, okay? That's what she's gonna give you. And and you know, the hope is that you grow from that, right? Right. <laughs> We've grown from that.
0: (laughs) You know, the hope is that you get through. We're 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 in book two, waiting on book three. We're still waiting for her to grow fully. Right. Of that, but you know, you know, I, and I think to your point, right? It's like we may not agree with everything she does, but what makes this book a brilliant piece of writing is that we understand why she does every single thing that she does, um, concerning the magic, concerning this world, and it's all very um, connected and deeply um, tied together.
1: And I think that's what adds another layer of to the magic system is that there is a history here. There is a society built off the history of magic and its uses. Where you really get heavy colonialism vibes when it comes to what the world was, initially, magic was abound, you know, as you mentioned, and there was a connection to the world, to the to earth to the earth, for the magi. that was just different for everyone else, right? There was just a certain connection that they had to the Orishas, to the world around them, to each other. And when all of that stops, there's now a different understanding and incomplete histories, and trying to fill in the blanks for yourself—that you can identify a lot with with Zelle who knows enough. She can. You. She. She knows. She has a feeling. There's the instinct to do things right. Like for her, her ashe, her magic is like rhythm, right? Some things she does innately, and then other things, you know, it feels familiar, but she just can't get it right. And then we see her do amazing things as she goes forward. But much like anything else when it comes to discovering yourself and discovering your history and your connections to your roots, it is a hard-worn it's a hard, hard won story for her. And the same thing for uh, Amari and Inan, I think each one represents a different layer of of acceptance and a different journey.
0: Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. And I think about, you know, that important portion with this this history of magic, right? And one of the things that makes this a very hard, hard magic system is because we have that history. We, within the first book, we are immediately keyed in within the first few chapters to like, oh, Magi have existed for the, for as long as whomever. The powers come directly from this. And throughout the book, you learn exactly how that power is handed down, especially because the goal of her, of Zelaze in the book is to bring back magic. So she has to kind of redo a version of the initial um, power passed down that happened you know thousands of years ago and i think that history is important to making it a solidified kind of magic system so then when i think about where we are talking about with our middle book right our this poison heart by Caitlin baron that also has a history um within it but there's something different about it that makes it a little softer right so with with Caitlin Barron, this poison heart um the main character is this young girl named Briseis. um her uh she, she initially lives with her mom. Uh, who one of, she has two moms, one of whom she calls Mo, the other she calls mom. Um, and she the book starts out where she's this young girl who can basically control plants. That's what we know off jump that she can kind of control plants. She has this this kind of relationship with plants that uh, she lives in the middle of New York. So she's always been a little frustrated with her powers and trying not to to show them or to, uh, you know, living in fear. I think a lot of that, right? Basically, what happens is that uh, she and she knows she's adopted, but she finds out um, that uh, she hears that her aunt has died and has left the whole house to her. Um, so they go up to upstate New York, and antics ensue, and you know, plot pushes forward and happens. There's this big kind of uh deep conspiracy of wondering how her aunt died, is she dead? How her mom actually? died um what's happening within that um and then people are trying to attack Perseus and everything and you know the the book goes on that it connects to a larger mythology
1: this book really starts off very slice of life with a little little magic there and you're in the beginning it truly does in the beginning you're like oh she's struggling with her plant powers and she's a botany nerd yes it's giving very slice of life but the the level of intensity ramps up as you keep going through the book books plural there's a second one um and as you're learning about the character and you're learning about the history it gets the shit gets wilder and wilder like in the beginning there was a girl with plant powers and as you learn more about her family her connected her connection to the goddess hecate okay like who saw they that They are coming? descended
0: from the goddess
1: hecate right. wild like Mm -hmm. and then as you're going along with the story it all starts to make sense her aunt just guess her aunt's name y'all just guess it just you know lean into it if you did not guess seriously then you know read up on your mythology um (laughs) the girl's name is briseis okay we Mm -hmm. okay just stick with me um, of course, we have a lot of Labitakwa energy here. We love Mo and Mom; they're so cute. But also Briseis and Marie. Before they become a real couple, you like you you already like OTP from the beginning. Just first sentences, mm-hmm. you're like, True. I see this. And Marie, of course, is giving heavy like other energy, like from the beginning. So you kind of know mm-hmm. the Marie character is special and magical in her own right but you don't learn exactly how until very much later Mm -hmm. so definitely read the book I don't want to give you too many spoilers because you know what the vibes like the the twists and turns is what carries you through the story um Briseis is another character that I liked Dia struggled Dia struggled with with some of her oh I did some, some of some her idiosyncrasies, okay. Mm. But I really enjoy Brissett. Idiot. Idiot oh. syncrasies Is that what you say? <laughs> Idiot syncrasies Oh, okay. okay. Idiot okay. child idiosyncrasies. Okay. A child. She a is child. like a child. sixteen, seventeen. Give her a break. Give a chick a chance. And,
0: act, and acts and act a whole ass, just like oh my it. God. And you know what? That's okay. But but <laughs> let me not go go on go off on her too much. But um I think that, you know, while similarly to, to Tomyadium is the children blood and bone, that it has a it has a very specific history of like how this magic came to happen in this family and their descendant. They have this lineage. We understand throughout the first book, throughout the second book, how that is very specific history it then gets a little messed up because when we get to the thing things about thinking around can anyone use magic and when can magic be used now that gets a little wild because in this world there's not just the magic system of the plant the people who can control plants people who are descended of medea there are people who are also descended of uh jason from from greek mythology uh they have different some of them have different powers and abilities there are people in this who are something akin to like a uh some vampire hybrid type thing they have their own immortal immortality longevity powers within that there are people who dabble in root work and conjure and things like that and they have powers there are alchemists in this book right so they really kind of threw a lot of different and i and i think a way that is really exciting to read but you have to release your need maybe for firm uh boundaries and grounds around it but they did release a lot of different cultural magic to to spit, to full uh to spin around in this especially because and i and my theory about this is it has to do with the fact that like perseus is a black girl right Everybody we meet in this book, almost everybody we meet, is is black. And it's black um, from the beginning. Not,
1: the vibes, okay. If you yeah, don't, feel even like... the villain, the villain's <laughs> also
0: black. This, it's
1: <laughs> the vibes. The vibes are so real. Okay, is the villain black? I'm pretty sure old girl was like redheaded white woman though. No, no, no. She was black. Was she black? Because because the villain is old boy's mama. Okay, Anne. And he black. He okay, Anne. Yeah, because they say he looked like uh.
0: What you call it, um, uh, old boy from Moonlight? Okay. Yeah, dark skin, and his mama also then is dark skinned. She just had a bad hairdo,
1: and that's how you know you can trust her. Yeah. Okay. You right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now she had she, the bad. She gave. Wig. She gave redheaded white woman. She energy. did. that let you. Okay. But she was
0: in fact a black lady.
1: You know yeah. what? You know what? Mm-hmm. In my her mind, her real name
0: was also black as hell. I forget what it was, but it was it was. It was something akin to Khadijah. It wasn't Khadijah because that was that other lady. The Khadijah also was black.
1: Khadijah was Circe's love interest. They had a past. Yes. They did.
0: Who was also black? I thought she was white when I first saw Uh, it. But anyway, (laughs) I I bring that up to think about the fact that, so this is a black author creating a black world, but one that's connected deeply to Greek mythology, which as we understand is from a uh, construct of whiteness, right? The reality of what those people looked like back then is, is very different than what we understand them to be, you know, writ large in the world these days. But my my um, th- thinking pattern in this is that, well, in, in connecting these black people uh, solidly with Greek mythology, let's talk about all of the other ways that like black folks move in and around the supernatural. Right. So then we think about actively talking about conjure and root work and hoodoo in these books and gesturing towards those kind of things as part and parcel to this whole world that is full of a different type of magic. Now, what makes it soft is that those... Uh, you know, these are all different lines of magic or whatever, we don't know really know how they're all tethered together. Yeah, We don't know where the magical source is. We don't really know what one thing comes from. And I don't think it comes from one thing. It's made up of a whole bunch of different areas and situations. And we really never get any understanding in the first two books about that at all. And I don't really think we're going to get that in the third book, but...
1: Yeah, I think another thing that's interesting when it comes to who all can do magic is so far the lineage... Anybody. Look, okay, okay, but... Specifically with the line of Briseis, right? Yes. yes. So far, it seems like it's just the women, okay? Like. Well, there are no men. Exactly. They and, don't have sons. Exactly. And I find that yeah. very interesting in the way of one. And no, nobody's talked about it in the book. Right. Yet, we about haven't about really touched that on it. I feel like we glanced over it in like a sentence somewhere. But literally, I mean, to break this down for you, there's Perseus, female, her mother, Celine, female who had a sister, seriously, female who had a mother who had a sister who had a mother. Like, at no point do we hear of any boys outside of Medea's brother, who is the, the beginning of all of this. So that's the last... What's his name? That's... If you wouldn't have asked me, I could have remembered it. It's the something heart. It's the, um, oh God. Yeah, because the the heart is like the parts of his body that she buried. Uh, Medea's brother. Um, oh, Absurdus. There you Absurdist. go. Absurdus. Yeah. So that's the last male that we hear of in this lineage. I ain't heard of not a son, uncle in this bitch. And we talking like millennia. This family been around for millennia with apothecaries and shit. And it just seems like all, and I think that may be part of the burden that they carry is that they know every single member of their family will inherit this power and this responsibility, which I think kind of leads a little bit even more into, you know, who can use this magic when it comes to the line of, uh, Medea Hectae, right. all that, and and and
0: I mean, it seems like only um, to what you're saying. Only this this so so this book really is about like this type of magic, only these specific line of people can use. Yeah. Um. So and so, so for whatever reason. Even when, you know, the children, the family of Jason and the family of uh, Medea kind of split off because they're still kind of related, the people that were more directly related to Jason got different powers, but those powers don't really make a lot of...
1: Actually... Those
0: powers are not in the same way that this one
1: is. Actually, I don't think they do have powers Um, because the whole thing was like, that's what they were mad about, was that they didn't get any special powers and they didn't get... uh, They got them. I thought that those some of them some of them have powers yeah I thought those were things that they like bargained for I'm y'all I'm had to reread this it's been a minute but uh, so so I
0: just I just I just finished the second book and it's a very like it's not a guaranteed thing at all just some of them in every generation have powers the uh so I don't remember this boy so there's this boy in this book whose name I forget um, but he, like, kind of becomes a Briseis' friend, and then he betrays her because what you find out is that his mama is evil. His mama is that red-headed white lady who's not white, but she black, but her hair messed <laughs> up, energy. so we call her that. The energy of the redheaded um, white woman. The energy, very much. Uh, and not the good red-headed white woman. We ain't talking about, like, a Nicole Kidman, um... You know, uh, Jessica Chastain, seconds, we, ain't Jessica talking about Chastain her. we ain't talking about them. Amy Adams, we ain't
1: talking about them. We talking about we talk about the ones we talking about the problematic pasted. ones. We talk about problematic yes. white women. Okay. So if you're not mm-hmm. problematic, we ain't talking about that. Okay. There it is. So uh
0: <laughs> but so what you find out is that that family is descendants of Jason, right? Um and what we find out throughout the first two books is that some people in their family have different powers. So uh, so that little boy, is, I'm going to call him um, the betrayer. Um, but the betrayer's aunt has a power. And that power is to be able to kind of put people to sleep or something like that. But she's the only person that we see in that family that has some kind of power or some kind of ability. Yeah. So it's really interesting how they th- there, there is no uniformity in how these things happen in who like in in there's the only there's only uniformity it seems in the powers directly coming from Medea um coming from Hecate with the uh, the ability to control plant life and to be able to reconfigure poison things into other um potions and things like and
1: that and i you know what i can't believe we've avoided saying this for so long the name of the book is this poison heart the reason that's important is because with these plant powers comes immunity to poisons. So when it comes to, you know, poison ivy or even more deadly plants, they are for the most part unaffected. It doesn't kill them. Like they have like a chill. Okay. They don't feel the greatest. They get a little sick, but they don't die.
0: Right. Not Not even that sick. It's only like, if it's a, if it's a super poisonous plant, it'll make them feel like you know their heart is palpitating but they do not die yeah it's they like no they get a little cold breeze on their skin even with like alcohol doesn't affect them because it does something in the body that kind of acts as a poison to it well so they don't get affected by alcohol either yeah
1: and alcohol ironically enough is kind of derived from like plant juice <laughs> so you can see how they probably metabolize that so much faster Um, And I think the other thing to bring up when it comes to their powers, because that that adds a little bit to the magical world, is the way that they use it. You know, it's not just, oh, bippity boppity boo, Um, her aunt seriously actually carries around like the smallest slivers of plants because she can grow them on command. And so so that she's always ready to make a potion or to, I say a potion, more like salves, you know. She's definitely more kind of healer-esque, apothecary type of person. And it's interesting that she kind of has like a, a Batman belt full of all of these little seeds and plants and slithers of bark that she uses as she travels the world to find, you know, different artifacts and pieces of the heart. Um mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Briseis up until that point was just overgrowing everything. Like the trees were leaning and bending towards her. The flowers would bloom while when she walked. Like, Bersaya's just oozed so much energy all the time that everything reacted to her, which Mm -hmm. we later learn is not normal for someone her age or with her abilities. And you learn that she's a little bit of a prodigy in that respect.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and the only other thing that I'll I'll say about this um, before we even link it to our next one, uh, talking about soft magic, um, which I think is actually a good segue, is that what makes this more of a middle thing too is the fact that, Even with the history, like we said, even with there's specific um, and uh, particular all of those kind of things about how this family works, what we find out in the second book is that, well, they have powers over the plants and stuff like that. But there are things in this world where plants have different other magical properties so they can use those plants to use those magical properties so they can grow a certain type of uh, plant um, to then throw up in the air and call the wind to them to help them move through sails and things like that. So there's a lot of inner splicing and interweaving of different ways that magic works here that just makes it, you know, not something that we can call uh, in any real way a hard magic system, though it is an exciting one. Um, now this makes me think about, uh, while, while we the first books we talked about have this uh their own version of a cost they have their own version of history of things like that and we're thinking about who can use it so then we move to Witchmark, uh which is the first book in the kingston cycle series by c.l polk right um and what an interesting uh world this is it is it is a decadent world i love this book um and these these this particular series it's very fascinating uh, but you know true to form of course i like the soft magic book uh-huh. a lot uh but so this book the main characters are Miles uh uh and Grace. Miles and Grace are siblings. Miles uh birth name is Christopher Hensley, but he no longer uses that because uh he didn't want to get pulled into the uh obligations of what it means to be a brother to his sister, Grace, who's what we call a storm singer. And a storm singer within this world um, and within this country that they're in is the highest form of magic that people care about. Because Aland, the place that they live, um, before the storm singers was plagued by a bunch of different awful weather patterns. So storm singers basically keep everything in order and keep the, um, the whole uh, environment serene and nice. Um, And because of that, they have high positions of power. Over the years and and generations or whatnot, storm singers become the only form of magic that people care about and use. I mean, that magic is, is more confined to and hidden um, among the upper echelon because there are other people who have magic who they call witches. Um, and those witches um, are locked away in asylums and things like that, right? So Miles runs away from his family because he doesn't have the kind of magic that his sister has. He has a different kind of magic. And as a result of that, he was gonna get conscripted into being what is basically her, uh, his sister's extra magical bag. So, like, she Baby, could he was gonna be a battery. This man was, gonna be, was battery, gonna be a battery. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um yep. Basically, the the societal structure is like there's a queen, but behind the queen is this political machine driven by magical people, aka the the storm singers. They have their own like senate that votes and people fight for seats. There's a whole like political scheme behind the queen, if you will. And Miles mm-hmm. being that second, he's more like a, a second class citizen because he wasn't a storm singer. Miles is actually yeah. a doctor, a soldier, and his power is to be able to heal people. But that's not, you know, even though it's a cool, cool gift, it wasn't treasured or valued. And then when he like leaves and hides and all of that, um, he kind of lives his life. Death. Yeah, fakes his death. He lives his life. And until the beautiful, the bold Tristan shows up in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tristan is kind of like, we're gonna call him uh, an elf, high elf at that okay that's
0: basically what he is (laughs) he's called an amaranthine is what they call them in the book but they're basically the Folk. they're basically this high elf um and tristan has a different type of magic than that right so we we already heard grace is a storm singer her magic is specific to storms there are other things that they can do like see people's auras or things like that that any magical person can really do but um her big magic is specific to storms miles's big magic is specific to healing and understanding that tristan as this high elf Person, I don't really know mm. what all his big magic is. We know that he can glamour very well. We know that he is uh hundreds of years old. I think um uh, there's a specific number of how old he is. I think it's like 150 or something like that. 170. Yeah, he young. Um, he young.
1: He a young guy. He's,
0: he's <laughs> young in in there. <laughs> he he is he is equivalent to Miles's actual age in their particular way. As a
1: good storyteller um, will do.
0: as a good storyteller will do thank y'all for that um so so yeah he has a bunch of other different powers and aspects and he goes on this he kind of catalyzes this journey with Miles initially cuz Miles is the protagonist of the first book Grace is the protagonist of the second book and of the third book is a character Robin who we see in the first book who is um Miles's head nurse in the hospital who we learn is a, is also a magical individual in the first book and then we we see her in the third book um and they go on this journey to figure out there's something happening in in Ailand, um Miles check clocks it because it's something that's happening to his sold to the soldiers that he's taken care of when they come back from war and they're going into these murderous rages because something magical is there. So he's he's getting basic. so Tristan is helping him figure that out. Grace gets brought in because she finds out her brother's alive um and she goes on this kind of journey with them to figure out what's happening boom bam bam they figure out it's this whole deep conspiracy you tell them the story they
1: gotta read the book you
0: can't no no i'm just you can't tell what
1: happened i'm not gonna say
0: what happened now i'm just saying it's a boom bam pow mm. it's a whole deep conspiracy they break the conspiracy shit goes down boom that's how it is Mm -hmm. so (laughs) we think about the cost associated with the magic see see what i did there thank you the cost associated (laughs) with the magic um What we do know is that there is a cost and like it's a physical drain on their body a lot. They get tired. The characters often remind each other, oh, did you actually eat before you did this big magical feat? No, no, you didn't. So now you're fully drained, so you gotta go to sleep. And when you wake up, we're gonna have you with food and all this other kind of stuff. They need to replenish their strength. It's like using a muscle. Um, And then we think about the history of the magic. Well, Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah, we it's kind of shaky cuz the uh, Tristan Tristan has and this this is a, another great tool. Okay, we talked about it briefly in uh the A side where okay, it's fine for me as the reader to not understand the magic system in total. Just know up until I do it's soft magic. However, what we're learning in the books is that the, the high elves, if you will, have a different understanding of magic and a different relationship with it than Miles or Grace's understanding that they have in the community. So for Tristan, he's just like, well, you do know if somebody gives you the last of their soul, then you can draw on their magic, too. And Miles did not know that, <laughs> you know, and we learned that that's a very important uh, aspect of how magic works in this world. And, of course, it develops as the story goes along. But it's one of those things that, you know, we may learn in another book that we haven't gotten to yet, you know, where this system evolves a little bit more. Because um, Diaz, I think you read, like, the first two two. I'm um, about halfway through Storm Song. And I haven't read the third one. So we'll see if that develops into more of a middle or hard system. But for now, baby, it's a uh, soft-boiled Uh, when it comes to um, is anything like unaffected or immune to magic I think it is an important note that in this book we do know copper exposes witches or magical people and Mm -hmm. we also know that Tristan as a high elf can control like his glamour to the greatest extent like He's still a beautiful person, but you don't get you don't want to just, you know, bend over for Tristan at first sight every time. Um. Yeah.
0: And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to note that these Amaranthines, they use a glamour with people who are not Amaranthine, which are people who are human. They use a glamour because these people are way too they are too unearthly pretty. And their natural kind of being pulls humans into into them and makes them kind of do whatever they want. So they use a glamour to kind of counteract against that and to also not scare people because they do have point more pointy ears. They do look on, they don't look, they look off. <laughs> you know, they look like if you saw a high elf walking, you know, on the streets of New York or whatever, and you'd be like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. You need to like put that glamour back up because <laughs> you look too much like you don't belong in this world.
1: Baby. That's kind
0: of, that's kind of how they look. And it's a very, very deeply powerful um, you know, think think Siren song, but on ten. You know, yeah. it's kind of the energy. That like they,
1: have. they turn everybody that looks into them in the service subs, just on just on site.
0: That service subs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> For those but, that know, but,
0: yeah. So even thinking <laughs> about that, there's uh, so copper. Is a thing that affects people in this world right um so there's a little bit of a a drain on that it makes them deeply tired and things like that similar to as we were thinking about in our hard magic system children of blood and bone uh there's a thing called magicite right that then is used against uh the people the magi because it makes them weak It, it stops them from being able to actively use their powers it cuts into their skin in these kind of ways so then we think about you know how um which is a really all all off to use device. Um, In a lot of fantasy books where they think about, oh, this thing affects people who have this kind of power, supernatural thing. Think silver for werewolves, think vervain or steak to the heart or whatever, garlic, you know, in those different vampire stories or whatnot. So then those things are often weaponized against them. Right. So that is something that is shared, I think, between the books. Interestingly enough, it's not really shared in This Poison Heart. Mm -mm. Um, There doesn't seem to be an outside thing that stops them from being able to use their power
1: yeah yeah I was thinking that this poison heart was definitely more like melee battles if you will like you just had to outsmart your opponent more so than be completely immune if that makes sense um it yeah their their powers equally affected each other you just kind of had to navigate yeah. that but yeah. what is interesting is that you know one of our criteria one of our like guidelines is like how do they use the magic and ironically enough i think all of our examples children blood and bone this poison heart Witchmark, mark most of them have you know you can speak if you want to but the really good people don't have to <laughs> kind of systems mm.
0: yeah i think for the most part i think that children of blood and bone is a little bit more well okay so the interesting thing about children of blood and bone uh is that When magic does come back, it comes back very different than it was originally, right? So there are people who are magi, who have that kind of lineage. They often have to um, activate their power with a prayer to their specific Orisha, right? And their specific Orisha is the one that houses their powers. So Zelie's powers are specific to the Orisha Oya, um, and she's what's called a reaper. So she has different powers concerning death, right? enter uh, the other folks, Oshun, et cetera, um, who have different powers concerning uh, different uh, things, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go
1: ahead. Um, yeah, I was just gonna lean into, you know, you have Seekers, you have like the, the what was it? Dreamers or something like that. The ones that are mm-hmm. inside of your head. Burners. Yeah. yeah. So they're pretty straightforward as far as like the schools of magic. Can we lean into that? Right. Can we lean into that? Right. Okay where their different power sets have different abilities you know some people are you know mental in the sense of they can see the future while others are dream walkers right Mm -hmm. and i feel like those are interesting takes on similar powers because usually when, when we have mental powers or powers um involving the mind it's kind of like the Gene Gray effect almost. Like, if you're a telepath, you're a telepath kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to think of there's completely separate concepts for dreams versus uh, the future. Which right. you know, and, that's a metaphysical thought, right? There's a difference between <laughs> there, there's a difference between a actuality, thoughts. reality, and possibility, and dreams, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, hey,
0: this book be getting into it, <laughs> but um, yes. Yeah, so so the majority of people who have this kind of power or who had this before, they just kind of have to do a little cantrip at the beginning, which is just a uh, because their power comes from an orisha. Um, So they have to just open the channel to that, right? So they often have a phrase that they say to open that channel and then they can do whatever. Well, what happens as we see when other people get these powers, they don't always have to do that. Their powers are a little bit more, um, not not more powerful. They're just kind of turned up and keyed in a bit more so they can just kind of use them or naturally move into those powers. And
1: I guess a question here and then this may be answered in book three, okay? Tell me we're waiting. But I think it's interesting that, you know, you're like, well, the magic comes back different than it was before. Was Is it the fact that it comes back different than it was before or is it that the current users are so far removed from the original intensity of the magic that they developed ways to touch into it because they had been, you know, severed from it in a way, you know? and I feel like that's an interesting yeah, yeah. A, a interesting relationship too like those yeah. that come into it fresh and renewed and those that have learned bad habits or not necessarily bad habits but they have a learned relationship versus a natural one right
0: yeah yeah it's almost as if like so it's almost as if that The people who, the Magi, who are, you know, genealogically, like, connected to this thing, it's almost as if they have this very specific way that it's just worked into their bones that they have to use it. And they can use it and wield it in wild ways, but it's just, they have to go that way or that route. It's almost as if, like, the other people were just doused in magical radiation. So then everything is just like kind of keyed up. They don't have to use that way. They can just kind of do yeah. some things in whatever way they want to. That does present difficulties as we see a little bit in the second book too. Um, but but not to harp on that as much. I want to move and think about um, this in the different schools and things like that. We talked a little bit about it in this Poison Heart, right? There's so many different schools of magic because everybody does that kind of stuff. Well, in- and in Witchmark, we have that go ahead
1: oh yeah with uh, this poison heart I don't know if we could say schools of magic as much as different species I feel like that's what yeah, it keeps us better. Yeah. I feel like that's what makes it also middle ground is that there's just so many different cultures involved in this where you know you got vampires you got fae, you got werewolf personalities you got whoever else like some people go unidentified like we don't quite know what they yeah. are but we know they special because they are part of this community right and i think that's what makes it very middle ground is that we focus so much on perseus's family that we don't get into well what exactly is the surrounding community and you what what each species is what are their limitations right and hate to bring charm into this it's just as if charm lived in a bubble like we, you,
0: it you honestly yeah you,
1: you know a yeah. lot about the Hollowells, but baby but you, the
0: rest of that world it took them five seasons to get to yeah. start to get into that
1: so yeah. I, I would say it's not necessarily schools of magic as much as um you know more like lord of the rings right where the elves have a different uh different religion Mm -hmm. and different power set than the hobbits who have a different thing than the wizards who have a different thing than all the other other species right right um which yeah go ahead
0: no, no i was just saying and i think that like uh even in, think, in thinking about the ways that all three of these books in our hard, middle, and soft are kind of connected, right? There's this level of just probably the ones that we chose, wherein magic is, um, it, the, the magic is, I think, intrinsic to everybody here. Like, it's something to do with their genealogy, mm-hmm. something to do with their history or whatnot. And it is taught and harnessed, I think, in that way, but not. it's not as, n- not everybody can do magic in this world, right? It's just not how it is. There are people who can't do magic and there are people who can um, and the harness thing I think about is, like, there's a way that you, we could be argued that children blend upon, they harness the magic because they're pulling on a specific source of the Orisha or Orishana or whatnot. But the reason I wanted to bring that up, that intrinsic part, is it's so interesting that with three uh, Black authors, Magic then is intrinsic, and yeah. I see that as a theme that kind of goes along too. Is that oh, there's some kind of deep something within our bones and within our our biology that is intrinsic that we're often is a a kind of motif that you see go through a, or theme that we that goes through a lot of these uh, different kind of authors. Not all, but it's just something that people play with. Where
1: I feel like their stories have that. I feel like it's definitely a tie to our history, right? Every mm-hmm. last one of these stories are about the characters having uh, an interesting history and a, a love-hate relationship almost with their their genealogy, with their 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 ancestors in the past, right? With Zele, you know, she loved her mom, but her mom didn't really teach her a lot because her mom wanted to keep her safe. She didn't have too many opportunities to learn because, because of who they were, they were killed, you know? They were massacred. Um, Briseis, she was adopted. But her mom felt like she would have had a better life away from their responsibility. She would be safer if she wasn't with them. Another uh, idea of safety also creating trauma, right? Um, Witchmark, similar idea, safety creating trauma. This man ran away to the army, had PTSD that he had to deal with and heal himself. But yep. he, what he found safety in also caused him harm. And eventually was something else he had to deal with anyway and that's the story Mm -hmm. of all of these characters is safety creating trauma that they had to heal and from healing that then deal with another crisis Mm -hmm. and
0: and and it's it's the safety that they had which is in quotes right because that safety only came from running away from an already traumatic environment so then the safe that the safety that you have like you're saying is not actually a real safety. So it just causes more trauma. Yeah. So then the only way to step then fully into your actual power is to heal from that, to realize what your power can do because each of these um this is a coming of age book even though that there are very different ages, right? I think that Briseis and uh Zele are at a similar age although into la's world that age doesn't have the same kind of connection because perseus is within a world that looks exactly like ours for the most yeah. part uh, they have cell phones and iphones and all that kind of stuff but then we think about Witchmark, mark even though this is in like a kind of older timey world these people are grown mm-hmm. right they're like like mid and late 20s-esque like era grown so it's very much yeah. that kind of uh energy but they still have that Coming of age thing because Miles has to understand who he is and in, in relation to his power that he's learned not to use as much until he has to.
1: Yeah, and I think this is uh, something that we always talk about. One of the first things we talked about in this this podcast with you know functional age and new adult and all of that stuff. I feel like one thing that we learn as we grow up and the reason why we never feel like adults is because we're constantly going through these evolutions and we're constantly having to go through these these coming of age stories, right? Coming of age isn't coming of 21, right? You're coming of whatever age is in front of you. And for Miles, it was facing his father, right? A lot of us grow up, but we don't actually grow Evil up. Evil of Hensley. Look, look, um, actually, I think it's a, it's a Maya Angelou quote or part of one where she's like, a lot of us grow old, but we don't grow up kind of thing. And you know, you don't really realize how deep that is until, you know, you're in your thirties or late twenties, whatever, forties, and you realize that there's a difference between you and some of your peers where you feel like, oh, you know, we've done grown past a lot of this drama. We've grown past letting our parents dictate our life, and then there are others that are still fighting that battle, like still trying to to grow past that, right? And each one of us, you know, have our own issues. But I think that's really representative in these three books where each character, whether there's an age difference as in functional age or an age difference in natural age, all of them are facing issues on where they are in their current knowledge versus where they need to be and challenging their old paradigms, right? For, mm-hmm. for Zelle mm-hmm. is, look, I'm just here to get money saved my dad. Let's go. You know, Zele is right. fuck bitches get money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Briseis, Briseis was just like, I just want to settle down with a nice girl or boy and live my life with Mo and mom. And I just want my powers to be under control. I didn't, she, she don't want none of the smoke yeah. that comes from, you know, being an apothecary princess. She did not want to dig into that. Truly, Um, I'm an apothecary princess. (laughs) Look, she she was she was not trying to do that, but it grew on her. I would like to be an apothecary princess, actually. Thank you. I'll be sure. I'll be sure to get a nice little sweatshirt, little crew neck. Okay. Please, um, <laughs>
0: thank you. We'll make it cropped, you know, to have a
1: little bit of that too. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, i'm gonna have a lovely crop top. That's just gonna it's gonna work. Okay, I have a vision. Um and then Miles. Miles wanted to be uh the the doctor. He just wanted to be a doctor and live his life. He wanted to help people. That couldn't afford it yeah. okay uh miles was the original ria klaus okay this man was ready to Stop. save anybody so,
0: truly truly that is the energy <laughs> <laughs> honestly but um I, so, so I, uh, this kind of connects to what i wanted to say as i kind of like last thing as we wrap up here too what's so interesting about the magic systems. And I'm specifically thinking about not this whole systems, but the powers that our main protagonists in these first few books have, right? And it's just so interesting because of course it makes sense. And it has a whole different level of context when you realize these are all authors of color, specifically Black authors here. Even though um, the main characters, with the exception of Robin um, and Tristan, because Tristan is a a different species of, of thing, but Miles and Grace are not Black. They are like what we understand like white to be um, in this kind of thing uh, in this book, because we know that Robin as a character is blank, black. And yeah. Make sure to tell us that. Right. But what's really interesting about these being from black authors. So Zele, the um, main character in Children of Blood and Bone, her power is uh, of the Reapers. Right. So she has power over death. And being able to and ideally, you know, in the most positive light, helping to helping spirits navigate their way into the fullness of their afterlife, but also being able to harness spirits and death. Right. So this young black girl has this deep connection with death in a world full of genocide and all this other kind of stuff. Right move to this Poison Heart, uh, where we have Versailles, right? This young Black girl has this power over life, right? She has to be able to grow plants and pull them into different spaces. But she's also immune to a specific kind of hurt, right? She, uh, throughout her genealogy, because of uh, her family has been hunted for for millennia and years and years, It only it only makes sense that it's natural that they have this power of, like, well, there are specific things that we learn a resistance against, right? Like poison can't affect me. Like if you're gonna have to you gonna kill me, you're gonna have to put a bullet in me. That, that's the kind of energy that they have, right? <laughs> Only so God the power can cut of a death, you know. the power of a life. <laughs> right. <laughs> the power of a death, right, with Zelie, the power of a life of Perseus. And then we think of Miles, right? Oh, it's only natural. Like he has a deep power of healing, right? To be able to bring people back, which is a thing that neither Zelie or Perseus really have. Perseus um, has different things that she can do to help people heal quicker, but Miles' power is really this ability to heal people and to heal their bodies and their minds and things like that. And again, it's just interesting when you layer that reality of these characters over the actual outside of the book reality of these being Black authors, and all of these authors being um, uh, non-male identified folks, so women and non-binary folks, non-binary in C.L. Polk's case, uh, it's just such an interesting like flip that you really wonder, okay, so what's happening in these books? And I think why we like these three books is that even though you know with the soft magic or the middle magic, some stuff gets a little wild or whatever, there's something about the story that really pulls us in that you're really keyed in to to the hurt, you're really keyed into the pain. And you're also then doubly keyed into how you can help them or how they're helping each other get free within these books. Um, because these are all books that are about freedom, that are about being able to live that life that you want unabashed, right? There are things that Zelie wants, that Perseus wants, that Miles wants, and all of those things pr- pretty much, leave me the fuck alone. I just want to, like, chill. Yeah. And I think that's just a beautiful thing to kind of pull out that you can just see by reading just the magic system itself. If it's The magic system is telling you this is what they want. Their powers are telling you that this is kind of where they're positioned. It, it's in opposition to the thing they want because they have such powers that are like, that push them to the forefront. But they're like, hey, I just want to be left alone and I just want to live my life in the way I want to.
1: Yeah. And I think what's also interesting, I don't know if we did this on purpose, but we have Hard, Middle, and Soft, three, which lead us to three books, which led us to books that will, <laughs> series that have three books. So each one of these well, I think it's gonna be yeah, a trilogy. The trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't even
0: think about that. But look at us. Look
1: at us. So yeah. Three for
0: three,
1: <laughs> Three for three. And then of course we decided to do all none none males. There are no there is no men in the making of this selection. Um mm-hmm. and that in itself I think also kinda of aligns with us where um there's this Understanding of otherness in multiple dimensions that's very relevant to all of all of these books. With Zele and Amari, it's well, I don't know what it's like to be inside of the royal family. I don't know, and then for Amari, I don't know what it's like to be outside of it. Um I don't you know there's mm-hmm. there's a a juxtaposition for each character. There's a foil For each character, that turns out to be a best friend or a love interest. Zelay and Amari have completely different upbringing from opposite sides of the fences. Briseis and Marie, same thing. Like Marie has been in this magic game for a minute, you know? While Briseis is very new to it and she doesn't know anything beyond her own magical powers and she barely knows those. Miles and Grace, another diametrically opposed pair with miles being the the little brother who is supposed to be the battery for grace who has been raised to rule even though that's not really something that she wants and we see her try to rebel against that but ultimately she has to lean into her her gifts of leadership and but she has to learn to trust herself and not what big brother treated like the little brother yeah it was well Mm -hmm. the reason i i I say little brother energy here Mm -hmm. is because because that's how he's treated yeah Yeah. like he had no agency okay um miles had no agency and especially after he turned 12 and they realized he wasn't no storm single baby that man was a second-class citizen okay like he was a bargaining chip okay this man and didn't had help a, that he was gay
0: either right did not help
1: did not help again <laughs> a second sense of otherness it's not just yep. oh i'm not this i'm not a, a storm singer in the case of my house but i'm also okay and guess what i don't want to fall in line either so we got three different things of otherness he doesn't fit in a normal society because of how he grew up but he also doesn't fit in a normal society because he's a soldier that survived ptsd which we later learn, because he has like this little badge that he survived the sickness, right? Which comes with its own issues, and then it's it's every piece is makes them a little different in the world that they're in. Briseis, uh bisexual queen out here trying with, with magical powers, right? In an everyday world where she doesn't even want to go outside because. The trees start leaning into the stores she goes to. Flowers pop up every which way. And so she doesn't fit into everyday life. And then she comes to this magical community and she doesn't fit there either. Not really. Like she gets comfortable there, but she grew up normal. So for her, everything is fantastical. Everything is new. She doesn't know what's history versus what's myth versus what's actuality that we don't know yet. Briseis goes from being worried about trees leaning over her to facing gods. And I think that that's a juxtaposition, too, where you're just like, she doesn't quite fit into either realm. And then Zele, kind of the same thing. Small town. What she understood her of what the relationship with the Ashe was, what the Orishas were, is different than the actuality that she learns later. And then as her powers grow, it, she becomes more and more of an anomaly, right? Like she go from barely being able to control two, three of the undead to a whole sea, to calling back, to making connections, you know, that people didn't think existed anymore or was possible. And, uh, you know, again and again, these three characters, Zele, Briseis, Miles, all exhibit extraordinary powers, right? Extraordinary abilities when they want to be an ordinary girl in an ordinary world. Okay. And extraordinary, that's what they want. They want to just be regular. They want to just have, have their dad in the case of Zele, you know, have their moms in the case of Briseis, have family in the case of Briseis. And Miles... Miles just wants to be left the fuck alone. And now that he done found him a little man, he like, yes, this is what I want. I want that Tristan. Part. I want to just have me a little doctor, little doctor daycare, um, keep my soldiers alive and then go home. Honestly,
0: what a dream. What a dream.
1: <laughs> I feel like Miles has it right. Miles hey, wants to be left let alone. let me take a page out of your book, Miles. That's in,
0: This is not the podcast for that. Anyway.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so I guess... In summary, we kind of hit back-to-back points on that. Um, All of these books really exemplify the magic systems in different ways. Um, I think with our rules and guidelines, you know, our list of things that we talked about on the A side, you know, cost, history, all that stuff. Hard magic systems, you can generally answer all of those questions, in my opinion. And when you get to the middle, you know, maybe you answer about half right you you're not so sure on the history or you're not so sure can magic be given can it be taken away i'm not sure there's that's there's some ambiguity there and then south magic baby you got a good three four questions at best (laughs) like you you know that there's a cost you know you know that there's some history you know that who can have magic is this sector of people but what may not be quite clear is is there conduits is there different schools is, is there immunity in place like I, and as you develop the story it becomes at least for us really important to identify how much detail you want to give your reader because i'm I, I, and from there developing the story because if i can escape your world with some loophole in my mind then it for me it loses the risk right if we can, yep. if we can do whatever we want, then it loses the risks and the stakes for the characters. Yeah, if we can do whatever we want. What's the point of doing it? Right. Anytime, what? You know? Why does it's it matter? Just, yeah. mm-hmm. And I feel like hard magic systems, heavy, heavy on the why does it matter. The magic really yeah. drives middle. It's a little. It's a little hand. It's, it's a little half and half with middle. Like magic matters because it's something that's a tool. But the characters themselves are driving the action, and with soft, soft magic, eh, it's even more of a tool. Like it's more about the characters. It's a tool, and it's
0: also like the book itself is often not about the magic. Yeah, the book itself just happens to be in a magical space. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah, which is really interesting. Um. And fascinating. But But, yeah,
1: yeah. I hope you enjoyed this session. You guys have been very patient with us. Um, Yeah. So. I guess in closing to B-side, definitely read all three of these books, but feel free to check out not just the trilogies that we're talking about here, but any other books by C.O. Polk or Kaylin Bayron. Kaylin Bayron, I think, is on the come up, baby, because she got a book coming out next year that I am waiting Mm -hmm. for. Um, I may do a a 10 before the end or a 10 in the beginning (laughs) or something for 2024 because there are a lot of good new adult books by black authors out there Mm -hmm. baby we getting in the game especially as indie publishing is becoming more and more favorable so definitely planning to drop a list for, for new years you'll probably see it on our Instagram but you know we've talked long enough so I guess toss off for now
0: Yeah, that's all for now. Y'all be breezy. And remember, all this stuff is going to be in the show notes. So thank y'all
1: for listening. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Black Worlding. We hope you enjoyed every minute of it. If you've been inspired by the incredible authors,
0: characters, and narratives we explore today, we encourage you to continue the conversation with us.
1: Be a good play cousin and connect with us on social media. Share your thoughts, favorite moments, and your own book and show recommendations. Remember, the power of storytelling lies not only in the words on a page or the scenes on a screen,
0: but also in the discussions that ignite and unite us. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast
1: on your favorite platform. Your feedback and support means the world to us and helps us reach even more listeners. Together, We're creating a space where our voices are heard, our stories are celebrated, and every listener is valued. Thank Thank you for for being a a friend. friend.